0: Good morning. It's the thirteenth of February, twenty twenty-three. The longest church service at Asbury University since nineteen seventy has been happening nonstop since last Wednesday. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit more in the hour, but uh, let's be fanning the flame of revival as God uh, sends fresh winds of His Spirit um, unfolding not only on the campus of Asbury University but from there to other places as well. Um, it's a bird. It's a plane. Well, whatever it was, we shot it down. That's my uh. That's that's my note to self. The U.S. military um uh, has shot down an octagonal octa, octa, mm-hmm, an object shaped like an octagon.
2: Octagonal.
0: Not spher- thank octagonal. you. <clears throat> not not spherical. Octagonal no, no. Mm-hmm. had some structure to it. Uh, over Lake Huron, and you're saying to yourself, "Now, wait a second! I remember the one off the coast of South Carolina last week—the big, the the really big one, the size of like you know the payload, the size of three buses—and it was a giant balloon, and it was Chinese in origin. Um, and I remember that one. Are you telling me there have been others? Oh yes, quite a few others. Um, we we uh, shot one down over Alaska. Um, then we shot one down at the invitation of the Canadian Prime Minister over the Yukon. Um, Airspace over uh, the state of Montana was briefly uh, closed for a period of time because there was an anomaly on the radar. That is the object that then apparently um, was shot down over Lake Huron. And, and because, you know, nobody wants to say what it was, there's a lot of speculation about what it might have been. And when you have to... Um, when you when you have to come up short of telling people the truth then you end up with all kinds of speculation and so if you're not going to describe what it was then you can't actually rule out all the things it might not be including well the challenge here faced by the head of the north american aerospace defense command norad um caught on tape saying well no i can't rule out that it was aliens well you can't rule it out because you're not allowed to talk about what it really is now um They don't think that it's alien in origin. They definitely think it's terrestrial. But um, there is a lot of speculation out there. Um, And so I don't want us to be people wildly speculating. I want us to be people who are aware and um, pursue the truth and wait for the truth um, on these matters. And yes, we will pursue this story as it unfolds. In the meantime, let's focus our prayerful attention on Turkey and Syria, um, Ukraine, Iran, things happening around the world that absolutely need our prayerful attention. Samaritan's Purse um, uh, has now uh, set up um, a 52-bed emergency field hospital in the city of Antakya. That's in Turkey, formerly known as Antioch. Um, They have deployed 100 medical and technical staff uh, because there are going to be more than um, like half a million people um, who need medical attention. Um, We don't know how many people ultimately are going to be among the dead. The number is over 36,000 now, um, the known dead, tens of thousands injured. um, And and yes, still wonderful, magnificent stories of rescue. But that's one person rescued, um, you know, as the death toll has risen by more than 10,000. And so Um, that's sort of the stage that we are currently at. The war in Ukraine appears to also be on the cusp of a new phase. Want to lift up prayers in relationship to that. And again, in the midst of all of that, revival spilling out of Asbury University in Kentucky. Um, And we will fan the flame of that a little later in the hour. But right now, we're going to have Dr. Linda Mental join us. And we're going to talk about how we serve our friends when they are in despair. You have a friend who's depressed. You have a friend who is walking in darkness, maybe even a friend who you are worried is contemplating suicide. How do you serve that friend? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my friend. We're going to talk with Dr. Linda Mental now. I'm reading headlines out of New Jersey where a superintendent has resigned after a student's suicide. A girl 14 took her own life after being uh, publicly bullied and nobody intervening. Um, the New York Times has a feature piece in the opinion section about despair and, um, and how we serve our friends when they are in the midst of despair. Linda, the headlines are, um, are full of this bad news. I'm wondering if maybe you could lead us into some good news in relationship to this.
1: Well, you're right, Carmen. There is there is there are so many stories lately and I my daughter just called me yesterday and told me a friend of hers husband died by suicide as well. So mm-hmm. it is just everywhere when you turn around in the the state of despair and depression. Um depression is a clinical disorder that uh, many many people struggle with. I think the good news is there is treatment and there there is hope and one of the things that I was thinking about when I was putting uh, some thoughts together for this morning was Psalm forty one through 2, which says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So there's the, the psalmist talking about despair and the pit. And so many people that are in depression feel like they're in a pit that they can't crawl out of. But there's the hope right there in the scripture that God can draw us out of that pit and he can set our feet on a rock and he can make our steps secure. So as we talk about this, I want everyone to keep in mind that there is always hope in Christ. And if you are someone who's dealing with anybody that you know who's struggling with depression, keep that hope alive. Let them know that today they may not feel like they will have a better day, but you need to reassure them that with Christ, all things are possible. He will uh, give us the strength to do what we need to do, and there is always hope in the Scripture. And what's so missing in so many of these articles that I read is the lack of that hope. And there is no reference to a strong faith of a person. It doesn't mean that people with faith don't struggle. They do. But I, I'm just saying that that is where our hope ultimately lies. And then there is a lot we can do in the natural as well to help people through a crisis of um, despair or a clinical episode of depression.
0: So we're talking with Dr. Linda Mental from the Dr. Linda Mental show, um, DrLindaMental.com. And we're talking about how we serve our friends when they are um, in a season of darkness, in in depression, um, when they are in despair. How do we Walk with someone in the valley of the shadow, um, be it death or some other, um, you know, significant depressive loss, um, and, and that might be loss of meaning. It might be loss of job. It might be loss of a sense of security or hope. Um, talk talk with us about some practical things, Linda, that we can do as a friend.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is that we have to recognize signs of depression in people when we are with people, especially people that we know and we we maybe are a friend to or someone in our family. And what you will see is this very depressed mood, a lot of sadness, more than just the everyday. These signs that I'm going to talk to you about usually last at least for two weeks. So they're ongoing. They continue to persist in a person. It's usually energy differences, so you're noticing changes in people, changes in their sleep, changes in their appetite, changes in their concentration, changes in their what we call psychomotor, which is they're either more tired or they're they're just revved up because of uh, the mood state that they're in. There's this loss of interest in things, um, sometimes accompanied with thoughts of death. Uh, So these are the things that you're looking for. When you see these changes in a person, you should pay attention and you should talk to them about that. Now, your job is not as a friend to be their therapist um, because you're not trained to do that. But your job is, is, is to listen and take it seriously when people are describing these type of changes in their life. So don't feel as a friend that you have to somehow make them feel better and cheer them up. And one of the really important things as a friend is to reassure the person that as they talk to you about these things, that they are not a burden because people uh, who struggle with depression become more and more isolated and they start to get into their own head about how they're a burden to other people. Nobody would miss them if they were gone. And I always said to my patients, you know, as long as you breathe, God isn't done with you yet. And there are people who would miss you when you are gone and you're not a burden. This is a a season of either depression or some type of life experience that you're going through and I want to hear it. And as we're talking about that with somebody and you're not a therapist, just listen to what they're going through and don't let them push you away. Don't just say this is too much. Now, you may be feeling as a friend, Carmen, that it is a lot to hear and you may be worried, and if you get to the point where you hear somebody talk about suicide or that they don't want to be around anymore, then you do need to to alert the the proper people and the authorities and, and let their family members know that that's going on. But generally speaking, you want to stay in touch. You want to be able to send them some text messages, maybe email them, tell them you're praying for them, you're thinking about them. Um, and, and really try to stay connected, because that's my biggest concern, is that people get isolated in this process and then start to change their thoughts into stuff that is what we're just talking about, like nobody wants me, I need to get away, nobody I, I would be better if they weren't there. So you want to make sure that you're staying in connection uh, with somebody when they're in this state.
0: We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental um, here in just a moment. We're talking about how we serve our our friend when they are in um, an experience of despair, a season of depression. So, do you know someone who, you know, in whom you recognize these signs not just not just a, a sadness, but the persistence over more than two weeks of a change in vitality, uh, sleep, appetite, concentration. Energy level, interest in things that used to interest them, productivity, increasing isolation. Um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk next about um, not only continuing to press into these relationships, not leaving people in the darkness by themselves, but then also addressing some of the myths that are out there in the culture um, that you may believe about suicide. Are there some myths that you believe about suicide, and um, what might we do about those as well? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, you can find her on the Dr. Linda Mental show here at Faith Radio Network. Um, you can also find her at drlindamental.com Linda, let's address some of the suicide myths that are out there. First of all, what are they? and then um, And then help us confront them.
1: Okay, happy to do that. I just wanted to make one other point because I thought of it during the break. Um, The other thing you can do for depressed people is to do really practical things for them. So you might want to stop and buy food at the store if they're struggling and they don't get out and they're kind of in their own space. You want to try to get them to take a walk with you because walking and exercise is one of the best things that you can do to improve somebody's mood. So being very practical, give them a ride to an appointment, Um, get them to serve other people. Uh, A lot of times what we do in therapy with people that are depressed is we make them do things they don't feel like doing because when they activate and they do those things, it actually improves their mood. So I just wanted to throw that in. All right, let's get to the suicide myths because these are important. A lot of people feel like you can't stop a suicide. Um, People are just going to do it no matter what. And that is just not true, Carmen. A lot of times people signal in in indirect ways or even direct ways that they are thinking about this and that they um, will let you know in some way and you need to pay attention to the cues when you hear that and if you sense that or hear something that the person is saying you need to ask them directly to just say to them and this is one of the myths that if I ask somebody about suicide then somehow they're going to be thinking about it and I'm going to cause them to do it it's actually exactly the opposite. If you ask someone about it, it research shows that it actually lowers their anxiety, it opens up communication, and they have a lower risk of making any type of impulsive ask. So when I train students and when I train lay people in suicide prevention, we teach them how to question and to say, um, have you thought about going to sleep and not waking up? Have you thought and then just, or sometimes just very directly, are you having thoughts about suicide? Again, I just want to stress asking that question does not increase suicide or make the person suddenly become suicidal. That question actually is a prevention step that we want to ask. So ask and don't skirt the issue. And then if they say yes and have some resources available numbers, you can call the suicide hotline, um, the brand new one for mental health 988. Is that, am I saying that Mm -hmm. right? Um, Yeah. 988. Yeah. 988. Yeah. Um, There's so many of these hotlines I've got in my head for all kinds of different things, but that's a good one that just became national. I think it was even, there was even a a little quick thing about that during the Super Bowl yesterday Um, and then offer hope and help. We'll get you help. You say to somebody, I want you to live. I'm on your side. I'm going to be with you through this. So, that myth that you just leave people alone, they'll somehow come out of it, is not a good thing. So, those are the two really big myths I want people to understand. Talking about it doesn't make it happen, talking about it actually helps people do better. And the other thing is, I think from the Christian perspective, I wouldn't get into figuring out, you know, what I wouldn't get into sort of judging them uh, on is this sin issue in their life and don't go there with them. Try to listen, try to talk, try to find out maybe what the roots of it are, and uh, encourage them then to go see a professional person if they're struggling with very specific things. But don't assume that somebody has sin in their life. And the other thing is not to compare your life to theirs. So sometimes people, when they're trying to help a person, will say things like, yeah, I've been there too, and I've been... And and when you're in a position where it's very individualized and personal to you, that just isn't a good move. Um, it's, it's like the person will turn you off and not listen. So again, be there, be present, take it seriously. If you are concerned, ask the person. And then if they need help, make sure that you get them some type of help and involve everybody, including the spiritual part of their life, which would be a pastor. Or Or somebody
0: that has is involved in the spiritual care of that
1: person as well,
0: talk with me um uh, Linda, about that very last part because you know I might know somebody who's really, really struggling, and they've let me in. They're willing to let me in, but when I try to have that conversation about letting other people in, like they they don't want other people to know they don't want other people um they, you know they're they're still. Keeping up appearances, let's say. Talk with me yeah, uh, I, about about that. How, how do I yeah, help I, my friend get real help? Yeah,
1: and I, I that happens quite a bit where people will come to you and say, "I'm going to tell you this, but I really don't want you to tell anybody else." Or and I don't agree to that. I think that's a dangerous uh, place to say. you know, I I will keep this a secret. If they say I'm going to tell you, um, and then they begin to tell you, you have to be pretty firm with. You know this is so serious, and this is your life that we're talking about and I have to um involve other people um you can't do this alone I'm not the the person who can treat you or or you know I can be your friend, I can be there for you, I can support you, but we have to get other people involved because I want you to live, and I want you to be around and and be able to do the things that God has called you to do so I would have the conversation like that. I would not agree to secrecy because that is when you're isolated, you're alone, your mind goes even darker, you get into a a very um, isolated place and that's where the enemy likes to work is in that isolation. So again, just don't agree to it. Say, you know, I know you might be upset with me, but I'm going to, I we need to, we can talk about who you want involved, which of these people you'd like me to call and talk to, but you need help. You need help holistically. You need help with your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual life to really combat this and to get better.
0: Are there like recovery centers? Like, you know, the person's not an addict, um, but, you know, like when you talk about holistic that's what I'm thinking. Like the the a person like needs a recovery opportunity.
1: Yeah. There I, I don't know if there's specifically recovery for this. There are grief groups um that that, mm. that are helpful to people in recovery, but there are also group therapies where you get with mm. other people who will talk about their journey and what has helped them and what they're doing to to stay you know in a better state of mind and then of course the the therapy to help you work on all the different parts of this but there's so much benefit also in getting out and serving and if we had a lot more time carmen i i tell you you probably know the person i i i don't think she would mind me sharing this because she shared it publicly but um there's a person in nashville named candy christmas who was a very well-known mm-hmm. singer um and she really struggled with depression And the way that she actually got successful getting out of that is someone invited her to a homeless ministry under a bridge and had her go serve. And she didn't want to. She didn't feel like it. She didn't want to. But she went and did it. And as she started to serve, she started to see the need. And and the whole thing took her out of her depression. I'm not saying that's going to work for everybody, but the service part of this is very big in the recovery. And as a result of that, she built a whole ministry around that. And uh, they go out and they serve the homeless all the time. And she credits that big step in her life, that serving others, getting out of herself and seeing the need around her and being useful in that need was really a big step in her recovery from this. So just want to throw that out there as a way to start getting people involved.
0: That's so helpful. Um, Linda, as always, thank you so much. You guys can connect with Dr. Linda Mental at DrLindaMental.com and on the Dr. Linda Mental show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. We talk about um, the unity that we experience as the people of God, like, right? We're the body of Christ. We are one. Um, Jesus takes of all these broken parts and pieces, broken people, and makes of us one body, one people, one expression um, of the gospel in the world. And yet, and yet, in our experience, right, the church feels desperately broken, we want to have this conversation about unity and diversity in the midst of very polarizing times. And to assist us in that conversation, uh, Dr. Richard Lentz is going to join us. His book is Uncommon Unity, Wisdom for the Church in an Age of Division. That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Richard Lentz is Senior Consulting Theologian with Redeemer City to City in New York City. He's a former professor of theology at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Um, He has served as a pastor. He's the author of a lot of books. His latest from Lexham Press is Uncommon Unity, Wisdom for the Church in an Age of Division. Um, Dr. Lentz, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me, Carmen. Very much appreciate it.
0: You have been um, a part of and certainly a, an observer of the church, particularly in North America and particularly among evangelicals for a long time. Why uncommon unity? Um, and what do you hope that this, that this contribution to the conversation accomplishes?
2: Uh, a um, long time observer of how fragmented, but also how interesting uh, this uh evangelical movement has been since the post-war period and we've wrestled uh, i think more than any other segment of the christian church uh even globally uh with this question about uh, our unity and uh, that which divides us uh, and so i'm trying to think about how we both lower the temperature on the wider uh diversity uh discourse in our time but also Uh, constructively uh, help the church think uh, more clearly about the ways in which unity and diversity are hardwired into the created order and that we could think differently about those if we pay more attention to the way in which unity and diversity across the scriptures uh, frame the identity of the church uh, in a way that draws more to our mission uh, than to our structures or organizational um, uh, platforms. And I, I do think that this is a incredibly important uh, but a pretty uh, stressful conversation to have in our time.
0: <laughs> important and stressful. Those are the kinds of conversations we, we like best. So um, thank you for helping us um, uh, have this conversation today. Um, unity and diversity... Um, what unifies us what divides us there there are different um narratives or storylines out there there's a storyline um or a narrative that secular culture tells us um about inclusion um and there's a gospel narrative can you describe each of those
2: yes um uh, the the wider uh narrative or story that arises in our time about diversity emerges almost entirely uh, from uh, our political arrangement, uh, namely democracy, and uh, advanced technology, uh, which uh, tells us how we deal with our differences. Both of those in turn uh, then uh, emphasize uh, the ways in which our uh, culture excludes some people, uh, puts them on the margins, uh, uh, stereotypes them, and uh, how we then include. And I was surely want to suggest that there's something really good about that, uh, but something really dangerous about that conversation as well. And so inside the church, we tend to think of diversity uh, Simply big uh influenced by this wider cultural conversation about uh our differences uh, and we we get into the habit also of stereotyping across those differences, and that's where the danger comes in. On the other hand, uh we wanna suggest that there are lots of metaphors or um uh paradigms close at hand that might help us more constructively talk about our differences. And differences are not always divisions. Uh, And therein lies, I think, uh, uh, one of the uh, key points across the scripture. So if we think about marriage, uh, there are important differences across husbands and wives that matter. uh, And it's important to the very uh, unity that they have formed. So the differences that God has uh, wired into each of us uh, is important to how we relate one to another. We're we're not called all to be the same, uh, and sometimes what we mean by unity is uh, absolute uniformity, and that's not a, a kind of a biblical notion when we think about the church. The church is filled with all sorts of interesting differences, and um apart from uh the challenges of how we hold those differences together in times of stress or times of conflict uh we we must not underemphasize uh how uh, rich and thick and uh important uh some of those differences are for us and uh therefore allow us to engage the culture in uh, helpful ways rather than simply defensive or um, negative uh, fashion.
0: We're talking with Dr. Richard Lentz. We're talking about his new book, Uncommon Unity, Wisdom for the Church in an Age of Division. Um, Dr. Lentz, I'd love to further unpack marriage as, um, you know, one really positive exemplar here of God's design for unity and diversity, um, or unity in diversity. I don't know which language you might prefer there. we, we don't i mean as Christian believers, we each become more like Christ, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily each become more more like each other, and in marriage, the two become one flesh, but the two are still individuals like right is that is that what you're getting at when you're using marriage here as a um as an exemplar
2: very much so i and I think that we have underemphasized. Uh, the differences uh, that matter in a marriage in order uh, that in the work of the spirit, uh, we, um, uh,
0: you have me thinking I wouldn't want to be married to myself. Like that's kind of what I'm thinking here. Like I I love my husband. I love that the two of us are better together than we would be individually, but I don't want to be married to myself. I'm glad Jim is Jim.
2: That's exactly right. And those differences help us. Uh, So, whether it's a marriage or a family, uh, we we have to realize that we are wired differently, at, and part of the um, interesting parts of our relationships in a family and in a marriage is how we deal with those differences—differences uh, differences of temperament, differences of uh, intuitions about certain experiences, how we deal with suffering, all of those matter to the conversation of a marriage. Uh, and sometimes those pull us apart, unfortunately, but oftentimes they actually enrich uh, our, our identities and and we become, if you will, better people because we bumped into our differences uh, constructively. Uh, and surely that's a reflection, it's not the same, but a reflection of the fact that we worship a God who is three and one at the same time, not in the same way. Uh, and this, uh, interesting, mysterious Trinitarian, uh, uh, character of God that we worship is reflected in unity and diversity throughout the created order. And marriage is one of those important, uh, um, instances, uh, uh, that God has wired into the created order, uh, to help us understand, uh, uh, ourselves better, uh, we we understand ourselves better when we bump into people who are different from us, whether it's uh, uh, across the globe or or across a marriage, uh, and that's important in a time like ours.
0: Dr. Lentz, I think we all yearn for the church to um, be more united. Um, we, we long for the church to be a unified expression in the midst of really polarizing times. When we come back, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I mean, answer the question, maybe, like, can the church really be united in such polarizing times and in such a divided nation? We're talking with Dr. Richard Lentz. The book is Uncommon Unity, Wisdom for the Church in an Age of Division. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Prayer is such a gift. I love to pray. I think people sometimes overcomplicate prayer or try to craft perfect prayers as if God needs to be impressed. God just wants to hear what's on your heart and mind. He just wants to hear the sound of your voice. He wants us to turn to him with great expectation and faith that says, I don't have the power nor the resources, but God, you do. Or I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. Or God, thank you. Thank you that you're good and that you've revealed yourself in ways that I can comprehend. And thank you for doing all that you do in every moment, even the stuff that I don't know is happening. Help me today and help me not miss the divine opportunities you've set. I want to see you today, God, so show me yourself. Prayer's not complicated. It's a gift, and you can exercise it every moment and in any circumstance. Start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional email. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com
1: we we Alright,
0: we, we, we talk a lot about uh, cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, and that means that we have to be people who think about what we're thinking about, and we have to be people who think about how we are thinking about what we're thinking about. Um, joining us today for a part of that conversation in relationship to unity, the unity of the church, the diversity of the people of God. The book is uncommon unity, wisdom for the church in an age of division. Dr. Richard Lentz is here with us talking about it. Um, Dr. Lentz, uh, like I wanted the, one way to frame this question is, um, is the pursuit of unity hopeless? <laughs> like, can we can we actually live? In the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace in this generation, can the church genuinely have a united um, expression in such polarizing times?
2: Uh, it is surely aspirational in the sense that uh, that final climactic consummated unity will only be experienced on the other side of paradise. On the other hand, we are to aspire to it. That is, uh, we are to work towards uh, unity in a way that uh, uh, testifies uh, to the uh, fullness, uh, richness, uh, thickness of of this gospel uh, that we hold so dear. I open the book with this illustration of a time I had in a little village in southern Zimbabwe worshiping uh, with. Uh, this uh group of believers uh in a way that was strikingly different than anything i had experienced uh the worship service went on for 10 hours uh it was uh divided men on one side women and children on the other side there was uh uh 12 different sermons uh it it was an experience i i surely couldn't bring home uh, here to the states and yet there was mysteriously and i say mysterious because it it was hard to put my finger on it i i nonetheless knew these people belong to me and i belong to them and so there is i i thought uh, a a lesson here about the nature of unity that uh, we experience on this side of paradise and it's not structural it's not organizational uh it is rather Uh, what some have called a missional unity, the mission of the church that uh, is committed to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, expressed and articulated in any number of ways. And it's that which is the glue that binds the church together. And too often I think we are, um, Uh, baffled by the fact that the church looks so different in so many different places, and why can't it look the same in all the places? But it shouldn't uh, look the same in all the different places, uh, and that doesn't sacrifice our concern for unity. It's the unity of the gospel that we're after, not the unity of um, the clothes that we wear or the music that we sing, Uh, or uh, the amount of time that we are in a service, uh, all those things, or uh, the nature of the authorities, uh, uh, human authorities in the church, all those things are important. But at the end of the day, what binds us together and what will bind us uh, climactically in heaven is the, uh, uh, the gospel. And that's I think the missing piece sometimes in our discussions, actually, about the unity of the church.
0: Yeah, we want some sort of uh, functional, organizational, denominational, associational unity, and um, instead, you know, right? It's blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. It's not uh, a particular kind of affiliation with an organization. It's our knitting into the body of Christ um, as as believers. Um can I can I ask you a question on a completely different topic? <laughs> because Surely. because your um your breadth and depth of uh, uh of conversational options here is I mean, you know. So I'm going to I'm going to dig here for just a moment. Um Asbury University appears to be experiencing a revival. Uh, a chapel service that started last Wednesday morning um has Uh, actually continued without interruption it continues today the secular press is beginning to cover it people are um i mean it's spilled out of that particular university chapel to other places certainly there are those pointing to um the revival that began in that same place in 1970 i'm thinking that as a person um not only familiar with the history and life of evangelicalism um you know for uh, for a generation now but also a person who better than me uh, can explain to people what revival is. I have listeners who have texted in and said, you keep using the term revival. I don't know what that is. Can you, can you tell us what revival is? Whether or not there's one happening is a whole nother question, but can you tell us what it is? How would we recognize it?
2: Uh, uh, Historians of revivalism uh, tell us that revivals happen. uh, Surely, uh, at two different levels that is the level in which the spirit the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts and minds of individuals, uh, but also revivals uh take place when there's a cooperation uh, across our differences uh by virtue of the gospel. So the gospel becomes uh clear, uh it becomes more concrete, becomes more, uh, practical uh, in everyday life, so that uh, revivals uh, call to um, mind uh, the way in which the Spirit draws us together in the mission that is in the in the gospel itself, and it is not always uh, uh, readily recognizable in the time in the moment. Uh, Oftentimes, it's only afterwards that we recognize uh, these special uh, moments of God's grace and mercy being manifest. Uh, It is sometimes uh, connected uh, with intense prayer. It's uh, also uh, connected with intense evangelism. Uh, And so not all revivals are the same. Uh, they look different in different places uh and it is uh the uh maybe the most tangible sign of it is the uh, collaboration cooperation uh connection across believers uh that draw uh together uh uh the hearts towards uh the gospel and so it's it, it, you can just tell. I'm even wrestling with how best concretely mm-hmm. to describe it because it's uh, often quite mysterious mm-hmm. in its uh, manifestations, uh, and so you you'd want to um, latch on to. Uh, does it connect people to Jesus more? Does it connect mm. us to the breadth of? the mission of the gospel uh, more rather than to any tangible uh, outward physical expressions as such.
0: So good. So good. That's so helpful. Um, we're certainly, you know, paying attention to and watching, certainly praying for,
2: yes,
0: um, praying for revival. I mean, I'm, I'm one that just wants to see God fan the flame in this generation. Mm-hmm. I don't pretend to know what that looks like. I also recognize that those of us who are, you know, of an age, um, are you know pretty set in our ways and the way that God might move us out of the the ruts or the patterns um, is disruptive particularly for you know those those who like things to be done decently and in order and so um, it's yeah. uh it, it's the it, revivals are are disruptive in many ways but um, that does sound like the movement of the spirit that you know the spirit wouldn't um, wouldn't fit into our frames and forms and um, and clocks and all of that. Um, Dr. Lentz, what a delight to talk with you today. Thank you so much for this most recent work, Uncommon Unity, Wisdom for the Church in an Age of Division. I am a big fan of much of your earlier work as well, um, Identity and Idolatry, the Image of God. Um, and its inversion. Um, I feel like that was, gosh, close to 10 years ago now, but that was a really helpful and informative work um, for me and um, in the way I think about things. So um, thank you for your, um, th- thanks for joining us today, and thank you for continuing to speak into the life of the church.
2: You're very kind, Carmen. I appreciate your words, and uh, I appreciate the conversation, and I continue to pray for you as well in this really important work that you're doing Uh, in thinking about uh, how Christianity lives out its life in this culture. So thanks.
0: Absolutely. Appreciate the conversation today. That's Dr. Richard Lentz, a senior consulting theologian with Redeemer City to City and, among other things, the author of Uncommon Unity. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio.
1: And all praise to the Spirit.
0: All right. You fan the flame today and I'll do the same. I'll be praying for you. You be praying for me. Let's be praying um, for a fresh wind of God's spirit to blow and for people to recognize it as such. Thank you so much for the time spent together. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.